0: Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome out to another episode of the podcast. I'm in the process of getting my my uh, wall all taken care of, so it's pretty plain here in the office. Uh, but I appreciate you guys tuning in. For those who are on the YouTube channel, thank you guys for subscribing to the YouTube channel and supporting the show there. For those who are listening to the audio version Appreciate you guys there. If you're on Apple Podcasts, leave me a review. It helps me out. If you're on Spotify, please do the same thing. Rate and review the podcast. It helps get the show out to more and more people. What an awesome interview I've got coming your way today, guys. We're talking to a professional basketball player, but when you hear professional basketball player, a lot of people just assume that the person was just this stellar athlete. That was was their destination, their destiny, I should say, the entire way through their career. But today, you're going to hear from our guest about his journey. And how he really didn't even start taking basketball seriously until his very last game in high school of his senior year. You're going to hear about the ups and downs, the the grind, the grit, the determination, the, the importance of hitting the weight room, the importance of being patient, the importance of controlling what you can control. All of those little things that go into making it to the next level of basketball. You don't want to miss this episode of The Game Time Guru. So... What time is it? Game Time! Boost. This is the Game Time Guru podcast, where I interview sports figures from all over the world to help deliver a panoramic view on sports. So whether you're a former athlete, one of the crazies, or simply a casual sports fan, this is the perfect show for you, as we peel back the curtains and learn from our guests every single week. I'm your host, Shane Larson, and I'm helping you see sports through a different lens. What's up, everybody? Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. Super stoked to be here for uh, another interview, another week uh, down here on the show. Six six years running. We're in the fourth month. It's almost six and a half years we've been doing this show. We're in 180 countries, all 50 states. And like I've always said, I, I appreciate all the listeners who have ever tuned in. Those who have supported the show um, left me a review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. And those who have followed me on YouTube as I try to build out that platform. I just appreciate everybody being here and being willing to listen to these interviews that we do. Uh, today's going to be a very special one, as you guys heard in the introduction. We've got a really special guest who understands the professional game and understands what it takes to get there. Um, he also understands what it takes to give back to his community and his you know, his people. So he, he's going to talk a little bit about what he's putting together for a nonprofit. He's going to be talking about his experience as a, a basketball player, and we're super excited to hear from him. Bringing on to the show today is Mr. Or sorry, coming on to the show today is Mr. Eugene Campbell III. Eugene, thanks so much for joining us, brother.
1: Thank you for having me, brother. I appreciate you for wanting to be to be a part of your show, man.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. This is going to be a cool opportunity to hear from someone like yourself, who you know is playing at the next level, like the highest level, and and understanding that game. But like also your nonprofit, we're going to get to learn about that. Like I said, and I'm excited to hear more about it. Like someone like yourself who understands. The grind, the grit, the determination that it takes to get there, but also just you know enjoying life at the same time and giving back at the same time. It's just so cool. So I want to rewind the clock, Eugene, and and, and ask you a couple of questions. You know, as we look at your story, we want to know a little bit about your basketball background and and when it started. So obviously, right now you're playing professional ball overseas. We, we're going to talk about your professional ball, but I want to know. We wanna we wanna talk about the beginning stages. So when was the first time that you really took basketball seriously? When like did you pick up a ball when you were like four years old? Were you dribbling a ball in the womb? Like when when was it that you decided <laughs> to like you know start hooping a little bit?
1: Um, it's crazy because like I I've, I've always picked up a basketball as a kid, but I didn't take it seriously. It was just something to do. Uh, my sister was a, a excellent basketball player. She was a thousand point scorer in her high school, and my father was also a high school basketball player as well. So. Um, Basketball was definitely something that was in my household, definitely something in my family. And I didn't really take it that seriously, like, growing up. Uh, It was just, like I said, something to do. I picked up a basketball and dribbled it around the backyard and whatnot. It wasn't until my senior year of high school, my last game where I took basketball seriously, as crazy as that sounds, my last game of my senior year of high school, I said, all right, I want to be serious about this. (laughs)
0: That that's actually interesting. You say that some people are gonna be like, "Wait, what? Like, how does that even work?" Yeah. And they're, they're gonna think yeah. you're joking. I will tell you right now, Eugene, my my buddy, who was a teammate of mine in high school, he had no aspirations to play next level, even at the junior college level. Didn't really care. It wasn't until the last game of our season, which was a consolation game in the state tournament, so it was like our consolation game. If we win, we get a trophy. If not, cause we yeah, we it was a consolation game. It wasn't state championship. Ten o'clock in the morning game. And he dominated in that game. And all of a sudden, he realized, like, oh, I could play next level. He ended up playing junior college basketball. But it wasn't until his last game, literally, that he kind of, like, took it. And he realized what his potential could be. He was averaging, like, six, seven points a game. All of a sudden, he had, like, 28. he's like, oh, I was literally
1: the same. (laughs) I was literally the same. Yeah, I was averaging probably about, like, eight points a game in my senior year of high school. My last game, I had, like, 24 points. And then after that, I was like, all right. I want to play college basketball, but I didn't get recruited to play anywhere in high school, literally anywhere. I played in the worst division of high school basketball. I played in what they call the gold division in Jersey in um, the GMC, Greater Middlesex Conference. Um, it was horrible. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't really good competition. I played for a vocational school. So like, you know, people go to vocational schools to do to do trades. They go to vocational schools for jobs. They don't go to you know, vocational schools for a basketball career to try to get a scholarship to play college. So um, the only way that I could make it anywhere was to start from the bottom. I had to walk on that juco.
0: Ah, see, that's interesting. But it shows yeah. that it can be done if you have the desire and the grit and determination. But talking oh, yeah, about your vocational yeah. school, though, did you have a trade that you were working on? Like, is there something that you enjoyed doing that you still probably have a little bit of a passion for? Or was it just... Cause you were there, Uh, had to
1: do it. I just kind of had to do it. Um, I got into like machine tool technology, so I was like making hammers, making um, like a bunch of stuff out of metal. Um, Like, I don't know. I I was I forgot what I was really making. Just like stupid stuff. Like it was (laughs) it was something that I was good at though. Like, but I didn't really take it seriously. Just making tools, like like sledgehammers, ball peen hammers. I was making chimes like for like instruments and stuff i was making uh like car parts and whatnot um i did it because like it was manly i guess you know like i was gonna do cosmetology i wanted to do hair but like when i was in high school all the girls did cosmetology and it wasn't the manly thing to do so like i got into the machine tool and uh i really don't care for it i actually got a job doing it while i was in school as a senior, you were like in a vocational school, you can get a job to where you only go to school until 12 o'clock and you just work the rest of the day. So I did that so I didn't have to be in school all day. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah,
0: You leverage you leverage the skill set to, to get out of yeah. school a little bit. I like that.
1: I yeah, I had it, like man. a little minimum wage job, like paying like $9 an hour. It was trash, but you know, I had to do <laughs> what I had to do. <laughs> yeah,
0: man. Hey, I, I dig yeah. it. That's why I asked the question. I kind of wanted to just dissect that piece yeah, of the story. Yeah. You know, you talked about walking on at a junior college. You know, Eugene, when you made the decision, hey, I want to go play basketball at the next level. You got to go walk on at a junior college. What was the process to even find the school that you wanted to even that would even allow you to try to walk on? Like, I want to talk to the kids that are out there that might be in a similar situation or maybe they just weren't recruited. as well. What was the process you went through to get to find the school that you actually wanted to walk on with?
1: Uh, I didn't even want to walk on there, to be honest. I just wanted to make sure I played college basketball. Um, if I had a choice, I probably wouldn't have went there, but I actually love the fact that I went there because I actually had a great coach and some great teammates that helped me get better and helped, me, helped my mental get stronger. Um, my high school teammate, um, shout out to Mark. He's actually my best friend. Um, he's my high school teammate. He was supposed to go to a Division two school, but it didn't work out. He was a thousand-point scorer in our team, uh, despite our school being weak. He was, he was really good at the time. But um, even with his 1,000 points, he still wasn't good enough to play, get a scholarship. So he had to walk on. No, he got recruited. He got recruited based off of his resume. And uh, I talked to him about, um, you know, trying out or whatever. And um, I believe he gave me the coach's number. I texted the coach, or I called the coach. And I told him I played such and such. My teammate was, you know, one of your top recruits. Uh, we was in the backcourt together. Um, I want to try out for the team. So when I called him, he was like, okay, um, tryouts is this day at this time. So when he told me, I showed up to the tryouts. Um, didn't have no trainers, didn't have nothing, just playing ball at the park. Didn't even have access to a gym. It was just park work. Park work, waking up, running, um, no weight room, just <laughs> winging it. <laughs> uh just like a lot of like blood sweat and tears just waking up going to the park every day that's before i had any like organization um went there i was pretty athletic i was fast i i played with heart i played with passion I was good enough to make the team uh and i was able to shoot the ball very well one thing I, I was always able to do growing up was shoot the ball before i even had handles went from a spot-up shooter to a point guard overseas it's crazy uh <laughs> yeah so I went over there made the team. I was like the sixth man, um, pretty confident. I had some, I had multiple double digit games. I probably averaged about eight points a game my um, freshman year over there. And, um, you know, built from there, uh, sophomore season came and, uh, you know, somebody flunked out of their grades and the, the starting spot opened up for me. Took advantage of it, Then looked look back. Um, I was ready that year. Didn't really have trainers like that, but I was going to the weight room. Um, I was, I had a little bit of gym access. So I was working on my handles, just working on my game and uh, playing a lot of like recreational basketball. Like I said, no foundation, never played AAU a day in my life. Uh, Didn't even have the resources for that. Like like, in so many ways, I tell people like I'm self-made, like I really just, you know, locked in and just went out there and just did it. I don't know how I did it, but I did it. (laughs) Um sophomore season came I was the leading scorer of the team uh all-conference player I went from walking on being a sixth man averaging eight points a game to averaging 17 points a game uh shooting 40 percent from three 45 percent from the field and 90 percent from the free throw line it was almost a 50 40 90 for the whole season uh I was number three in the country in free throw percentage and I was definitely top 10 in three point percentage so I got most improved player and um I got the all-conference, second-team all-conference.
0: Wow, man. There's so much to dissect from that that information right there. A couple things. One I took note of when you said you had a, a teammate and a coach that kind of helped you with your mental. They really helped push you. Uh, what specifically yeah. do you, this stands out to you about those particular individuals that helped you in your game? So maybe a coach out here who's listening, myself included, or yeah. a teammate or someone that's listening, how can they help elevate their teammate or their player that they coach? What was something that stands out to you?
1: Um, definitely the experience of my coach. My coach was a Division One coach. He was an assistant coach at Seton Hall University, also Bowling Green. So he came into a Division Three Juco with like Division One mindset and that definitely helped the team grow and that definitely helped me grow individually as a player. So that was definitely a great experience for me. The players, I played with players who were more experienced than me. I was only like 18, 19 years old. And then players on my team were already like 26, like playing juco. Like, because you know how college is. Like, you got players that play in college that could be like 28, 29, 30, like, you know. Uh, so like, I was definitely one of the younger people in the group. So like, I definitely got uh, learned a lot uh, from the veterans on my team.
0: That's good, man. Okay. So yeah. you also talk about going from your, your, freshman year to your sophomore year, averaging, you know, roughly eight points a game. And then you go to 17, you're a starter. You took advantage of that opportunity. Um, what gave you the confidence boost, Eugene? Cause that's what I think a lot of kids, a lot of, I shouldn't even just say kids, a lot of younger athletes, they're super talented. Maybe they were like you, they could shoot the ball, but like they might not get the minutes or something. They might not have the confidence to like take adv- like advantage of those opportunities, I guess. What did you do, and when did that click where the confidence was there saying, hey, no, like I am this guy, I'm capable of doing this, and then you took advantage of that opportunity?
1: It's funny you say this, right? So, like, going into my sophomore season, I didn't think I was going to start. I didn't know if I was going to start. I was just there to play. Uh, there was a guy who got recruited as a freshman who, for some reason, from the start of the of the, the, the summer workouts, thought he was better than me, thought he could take my spot. Literally told other people he was going to take my spot, only my spot. And we didn't even play the same position. And uh, the type of person I am, very competitive. And I like a challenge. And I don't like being disrespected. And I don't take disrespect lightly. And if you constantly tell somebody you're going to take my spot, I'm going to make sure you don't take my spot. So he actually motivated me to go harder. And um, I had to make sure he didn't take my spot. Um, I played very nervous in one game. One uh preseason game, very nervous. And the coach like yelled at me, cursed me out, crazy. And uh, I didn't want to feel like that again. Like I almost cried, like I was so frustrated with myself. And I was like, yo, if I don't play good in the next scrimmage, I'm going to be benched. It's now or never. Went into that scrimmage, I had like 30 points. Um, instantly like, you know, improved and went right into the starting lineup. First two games of the season. uh. At 22 against this college called Lackawanna and this other college, uh, forget the name, uh, another Juco, we went we went uh, to Pennsylvania for a weekend tournament and I probably averaged like 22 points a game in that weekend tournament and uh, I was definitely full time starter at that point I have my season high against Union County College at their home, uh, we haven't beaten them in three years according to the program and uh, we beat them and I had my, my season high 35 points against them at their home. And uh, it was very hard to beat them at their gym from what I was told. So that was definitely a big milestone in my career to beat them. And uh, two of the players that I played against, I'm actually cool with them to this day. They were, um, you know, high school standouts, thousand point scorers, even in the Juco. So for me to be able to beat them, it was cool. you know. And uh, definitely gave me a lot of respect in Jersey, like, you know, playing well against like, you know, good, good, uh, players. Heck yeah, man. So
0: 90, 90% from the free throw line, you, what'd you say? Top three in three point percent or top 10 in three point percentage? I
1: was what? top 10. I believe I was like number eight or number seven, but that's I was definitely top 10. I wasn't top five, but I was top 10 for sure. Th- that's
0: a good stat line though. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. see, I, yeah. and what's awesome about that, Eugene, is I always tell the kids, Like my whole life, like I never was at probably the athleticism to cheer at or anything like that. But I'm a three-point shooter. I shoot free throws at a high level, and I can play defense pretty pretty well. I get physical, right? But I'm only six foot two, so I'm not like the biggest guy in the world. But I'm six two, two twenty. I I hold my own. But the thing is. A lot of times these days, like, kids don't understand the importance of free throws. So, like, oh, Eric, man, Eric. I'm, I'm watching kids in in high school teams that are, like, really high-level basketball programs, but they'll shoot, like, 64% from the line pretty consistently. It's like, whoa, like, why are we not yeah. at least at 80%? It's, it's a free throw. Yeah. Like, there's no one guarding you. How do we – so, I, I would love to know, like, you know, you took those two that you shot well from behind the arc and you shot well at the free throw line. Is there anything that you did to practice and keep that up? Is there anything that – like you specifically do to make sure that you're a consistent shooter from both of those areas?
1: Yeah, literally have a routine after I finish my workout. I start off with ball handling, always um, get into my my, my my dribbling moves. Then I, I get into my form shooting, and um, I work on whatever I need to work on for that day. I can't end the workout unless I make 10 threes in a row. Five Five um, threes, one from each spot. I go corner, wing, top of the key, wing, corner. I do corner twice on that corner and then I make my way back to the end. I gotta make 10 in a row. And then I gotta finish the workout with 10 free throws in a row. And it translated to my game. Um, something that definitely helped me out. Even here, I'm second in the league in free throws. I shoot 88% from the line. And I get to the line a lot. So and it definitely helps your points, like you know, especially like you know, if you're not shooting the greatest from the field that game, you go to the line and make the numbers look great. I took 13 shots, but I had 28 points. It looks good because I went to the line eight times, you know.
0: Yes, sir. Okay. So I I want the people who are listening to that, coach, player, whatever, rewind it and listen to what Eugene just said right there, just a a routine at the end of the workout, like just something to don't end your workout without like, a certain amount of shots made. So I'll tell kids all the time, Eugene, like if you're going to go do a shooting workout, most of these kids have never done 400 to 500 threes in a row. Like they've never like to shoot them. Like they've never shot that many shots. And I'm like, dude, that's just like a workout you should do like once a week or twice, once every two weeks or something. But like most kids have never actually done a volume shooting workout that I've talked to, which is wild to me. So even if you can't shoot 500 threes, because it's going to take you about an hour and a half, if you have a, a partner with you and you're both trying to do it, go do something like Eugene's doing. Like, Hit 10 threes in a row. I mean, that still might take you a while if you're not a good shooter, but it will help you kind of get into that <laughs> mental state. So I think Absolutely. that's awesome, man. Freaking yeah. rad. And um, the JUCO experience that you had, whether it be academics, just the memories. I mean, junior college, it's different across all the country, you know, the entire country. There's some really nice junior colleges that, like, look really good. Some of them that are, like, terrible and don't have any good facilities. It's all it mixes all around the entire country. But I want to know from your experience, Eugene, and junior college specifically, what was your favorite like overall takeaway from junior college?
1: Uh, the family feeling that the coach kind of brought upon the team. The uh, the coach he uh, had pregame meals. Like you know, he treated us like a Division one program. You know, even ju- a lot of JUCOs don't do that pregame meals. Um, we had study hall. Um, some JUCOs don't even do that. Mandatory study hall. Mandatory weight room. Um, they actually didn't like the fact that he was so on top of us and like the the athletic director at the time and the the, the, the staff and the athletics, they didn't like that. My coach was just pushing to, to help us get to the next level. I don't know. It was weird. Like it was like, oh, some guys play four years. Some guys are finished. Some guys play NAIA. Like he wanted all of us to go to a college, whether it was to play ball or not. He just wanted us to go to a college, even if it was for education. That was his goal. He was big on that. And uh, I really appreciate him for that. And that was definitely something that was um, good for me, going to that Juco. Um, I still talk to him to this day. He actually hit me up yesterday. And uh, I have a great relationship with my coach. So.
0: Yeah, shout out to your coach. What's his name?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, coach Jackson, George Jackson.
0: Coach George Jackson. Shout out yeah. to him. Hey, maybe one day we'll get him on the show because he obviously had a major impact on you. And I'm sure he's done yeah, it to man. a lot of other athletes, too. That's that, it <laughs> yeah. like he's doing it right. He's doing it right. Yeah. Sure. Heck yeah, man. So, Eugene, what happens after junior college? What was your next steps, man?
1: Um, you know, I was trying to look into getting into a uh, four-year school. That was my ultimate goal. You know, I had a pretty decent sophomore season. Um, I'm very hard on myself. You would probably think that's amazing, but, like, it was just decent for me. I wanted to do better. Um, so, I had Felicia University offer me a partial scholarship, but um, the, the partial scholarship wasn't going to be enough for me to for my parents to afford to pay the rest of the tuition. So unfortunately, I had one division to offer, not enough. Um, I got offered from Rutgers Nork, but they didn't follow up with me on the recruiting. So it was kind of like, all right, we want you, but I think we found somebody better because if they stopped hitting me up, they found somebody better, which was cool. So I knew that I had to walk on again, start from the bottom. I'm from Jersey City. My parents say it would be better for me to go to NJCU. I was like, do they have a good basketball team? My dad was like, yeah, you know, they got a legend there. Charlie Brown is a basketball legend and his son is the coach. So go see, you know, what's up. So I did my own recon, went to the NJCU website, went to the athletics, found the head coach's email, emailed email to myself, showed them my film from Juco and told them what I'd be able to try out. And he reached back to me and told me to come to open gyms. I went to the open gyms and I played okay. I played decent, like I didn't play that good. This is when I knew I had to go to the weight room and this is how I knew I had to put on some size and I had to put on some strength. That was the wake up call for me. Um the Guys were like sophomores at 28 years old. I'm coming in as a junior at like 19, 20 years old. Like, like I'm mad young and they're like older, like physical, stronger than me. I'm like, yeah, like that was the, the vocal point. That was the point, the turning point in my career when I started really you know, locking in in the weight room and just getting my strength up and just working on my game because I knew that this was a big jump from Juco. You know, uh, NJCU was one of the best Division three schools in the country. They um, got a lot, the most NJAC championships for their conference, for our conference. And like, um, we got, we had the best defense in the country, top three, I believe, when I was playing. So I knew all right, I got to work on my defense because we played a lot of zone in Juco and a lot of like, switch like half-ass defense it wasn't nothing crazy it was more focused on offense but this was a defensive-minded coach and a defensive-minded school so i had to improve drastically unfortunately i didn't get a lot of playing time my junior year i was sat on the bench most of the season uh it was definitely a learning and growing year this is when i started really grinding going to the weight room every day that summer um you know not hanging out with friends as much uh not playing 2k. I didn't even get 2k that year. Uh, just really locking in, man, just focusing, um, going to the gym, playing basketball with friends. Um, I, I didn't have any trainers still, but I had, uh, you know, more gym access. So, um, started locking in and, uh, when it was time for my senior year, I definitely got a lot more playing time. I wish I would have had more playing time, but definitely got more playing time. And I definitely learned a lot. And, uh, didn't even think I was going to play professional after that. Like, I thought it was like, all right, I finished college. I want to get my master's. I want to make money. I want to uh, educate myself. So I I did the master's program as a GA. My coach let me be on the coaching staff. He really liked the fact that while I was in school playing ball, had a 3.76 GPA, kept my grades up. Uh, may not have may not have had the most playing time, but my grades and my attitude and my character was very professional. I carried myself in a respectful way, and the coach noticed that, and he he gave me the chance to get my education while being on the coaching staff. So, you know, like I'm only like 22 years old at the time, so I'm like, all right, like let's do it. Um, still young. Definitely learned a lot about basketball from a different perspective, being on the coaching staff, being the GA. Um, I had gym access, you know. All the time, I had access to the shooting gun. I had keys to the gym. I had keys to the to the baskets, to put the baskets down. So I started really playing basketball like every single day, just getting better, learning the game. I started watching more film. I watched a lot of Chris Paul in the pick and roll. I watched a lot of Kobe Bryant. Paul Pierce is my favorite player all the time. So I watched a lot of him. And uh, I just started you know, looking at basketball from another perspective on top of what I already had, having access to all the resources I need to get me better. And that's when I started getting trainer when I was in grad school and um yeah progression
0: dude that's 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 such a cool story because like you you know in just like a five minute window you explain like two and a half years three years worth of stuff but there's so much there that I think can be taken away from what you just said one was the weight room junior year like you said you weren't getting as much playing time it wasn't like but you had a rude awakening right before you got into your junior rude year. like, wait, wait, weight, yeah. weight room is going to be important. If you could tell any kid right now, like knowing what you know at the professional level and having gone through what you went through um, with the weight room and everything, what's the lifting weights for a basketball player and knowing the physicality it takes to play at the next level. What's the most important way to, to hit the weight room? Some kids hear it and they're like, Oh, I'm just going to go hit the bench press do this and that. Like yeah. what do you think these kids need to be actually focusing on in the weight room so that they can compete at that level?
1: You need to focus a lot on lower body strength and a lot of core. A lot of people think like, you know, jumping comes from the legs. It actually comes from the core. When I started working on my core more, I became super athletic. Um, Power lifting, do one day of power, do one day of calisthenics and um, really focus on your lower body. And your upper body as well because you need to make sure your upper body is strong shoulders got to be strong to absorb contact it's not just about getting buff it's about preventing yourself from being injured if you if you have a lot of muscle mass on your body you're less likely prone to have injuries because your muscle protects your ligaments so when you, you know basketball even though it's not like american football it's a it's a very it's a very strongly um contact sport is like it's a lot of contact and you don't have the pads it's just your jersey and your skin (laughs) you know you could wear like a a elbow pad or whatever but i ain't enough cushion you know you're getting contact you're in the air you're vulnerable when you're in the air you know you're getting hit you're trying to dunk on somebody you're trying to block a shot like it's a lot of contact you got to make sure that your muscles are strong enough to withstand the, the amount of force that happens when you receive contact from a defender or when you land those okay. muscles protect your body from, you know, being out for the season. You know, it's very important to hit that weight room. You got to have power. You got to you gotta do a lot of calisthenics because you can lift bench press the world. But if you can't li- do a pull-up, you're not strong. <laughs> you got to be able to lift your own body strength too.
0: Totally, man. Yeah. Thank you for that. I appreciate you sharing that. That's yeah. going to be huge for a lot of those guys. You know, I always say, Eugene, a lot of people think that Steph Curry is a little guy. My like, dude, the dude's nah, listed at 6'3", 195. At like that's yeah, actually a pretty athletic build and he's a pretty tall yeah. guy for a lot of point guards to like look at. So he even hits the weight room. So I hope everybody understands yeah. that like the weight room is important. Not everybody has to look like LeBron James uh, necessarily, yeah. but you can hit the weight room and, and listen to what Eugene just said there too. Like focus on those types of things. You'll you'll be able to see a major difference in the way you take care yeah. of yourself, the way you compete. So it's, a, it's, it's wild to see when kids take it seriously in the weight room, you give it two years of consistent work there's a massive difference in the way that you can perform just because you have more confidence and more physicality. It's like, it's wild. The difference it can make, it separates a lot of kids. You know, you brought some up, Eugene, that was awesome. You talked about watching film. You're like Chris Paul, Paul Pierce, Kobe, all these guys. Um, you're a Paul Pierce guy. You know, I don't think enough people watch the game and study it. Um, when you were watching these guys, I guess, what was the biggest takeaway from your like Paul Pierce specifically, what was the biggest takeaway you watched, or you taken from his game, that you've been able to implement into yours?
1: Um, Paul Pierce taught me that it doesn't matter how fast you are, how athletic you are. Paul Pierce wasn't the most athletic. He wasn't the most athletically built. He wasn't the 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 craziest ball handler. But he played his game and he played at his pace. What I learned is when you play at your pace, you're unguardable. Like look at Chris Paul. He's fast. He knows how to change up his pace. He knows how to. Come off the screens fast. He knows how to come off slow, but he pay, plays at his pace. Look at Luka Doncic. He plays at his pace. All the players that play at their pace are the most unguardable players in the leagues, in any league, in anywhere. Play at your pace. Don't try to play like uh, Westbrook. Don't try to play like Prime D. Rose. Play your pace. You ain't got to play like Jokic. You don't got to play like Luka. Play at your pace where you're comfortable. Once you find yourself as a basketball player and your pace and you master that, is unguardable. And that's definitely what I learned.
0: I love it. And that is such a perfect explanation of Paul Pierce specifically. Like everyone used to be like, he's so slow. I'm like, dude, he does what he's got to do. He does exactly what he's got to do. And that's why he was the player that he was his whole career. He didn't care. He didn't need to be, he knew how to master what he was good at. That's so perfect. I love it. You know. That's what
1: you got to (laughs) do at the next level. You have to be good at one thing. Like you can be, you have to be great at one thing. Put it that way. You can do a lot of things well, but you just got to be great at one thing. You'll get paid. Whatever it is that you, that you, that you find that you're really good at. And it could be defense. You know how many people get paid just to play defense? There's people out here getting paid $10,000 a month just to play defense. Patrick Beverly gets millions of dollars just to play defense. Marcus Smart, starter (laughs) for one of the best teams in the NBA just to play defense. Like, you gotta find out what you're good at. You can't compare yourself to John Morant. You're not gonna be as athletic as him. You can't compare yourself to, to Joe Harris. You're not gonna be able to shoot like him. Some people can't. You're not gonna have Kyrie handles. find out one thing you're good at. And utilize that and it will definitely get you to the next level
0: Ooh, so perfect man so as you go over to you know play overseas after grad school you make it to the professional level talk to us about your professional experience thus far not just the basketball and the level of basketball that you're playing you know there's probably a lot of changes every country's different every level of basketball overseas is different and, and it doesn't matter whether it's south america europe whatever Every level's different. The way that each organization handles things is different. The culture is yeah. different. But what has been, like, I guess some of the takeaways you've taken from playing overseas, not just the basketball side of things, but the cultural side of things?
1: The cultural side of things um, is very different. Um, they don't use plastic utensils, <laughs> and they don't use dryers <laughs> at all. Uh, definitely something that is more Americanized. Um, the way they dress is different. They're more conservative out here. You know how to save money. America spends so much money on stupid stuff, bro. Like It doesn't even make sense. Like As soon as we something is not of use of us, we just throw it out. Like You know, a lot of people are more conservative about here. They're a lot more uh, respectful in things. Um, gender roles are different. Uh, gender roles are more neutral in the United States. Like women do more hands-on things that guys do. Here is more traditional. It depends on what country you're in. But in Europe, it's more traditional um I get stared at a lot (laughs) depending on the country um it's actually a good thing Uh, when I was in Moldova my first year they came up to me a lot to take pictures Um, they knew I was American literally probably the only black person in that city so they looked at me like a famous person looked at me as somebody like a role model they wanted to add me on Instagram they wanted to talk to me on the time a lot of those kids still hit me up um you know um I told my coach, like, yo, like, I want to do, like, a camp for these kids, like, for a day, like, bring them to the gym and train them, like, to get back to the community. These kids probably will never have those type of experiences again, so you gotta, you know, you gotta make it worth their their while, you know. It's not often you see some, like, Americans come to some of these these, these teams, man, so they see you, be nice, they're kids, you know, like, I was a kid once, too. You just gotta, they they obviously look up to you because when they see you, they look at like LeBron James and stuff. Like I'm not nearly as good as LeBron James, but they don't know LeBron James. They don't even know a lot of Americans. So when they see us, it's like, whoa, you know? Totally. So
0: now you get to you have a chance to be a, a positive influence in a young person's life. And that's huge. That these days we're we're lacking that, in my opinion. I think that's, yeah. that's a big time miss in society. They're not they don't have enough role models to look up to and that's why society's starting to go in a certain direction. But, um, you know, Eugene, where are you currently playing at so the listeners know exactly where you're at right now?
1: Uh, Right now I'm in Portugal. I'm in Albufeira in the south, and I'm playing here in the second league. Um, We have about two games left in the season, and then I'll be figuring out where I'm going to go next. I did get offered to play somewhere in Latin America um, this summer, but I think I'm going to just get my body a rest, you know, I need to rest of my body, man. I need to chill up. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> it's for been sure. a long season, but um, definitely gonna be playing somewhere else in Europe in, in the fall. So stay tuned for that.
0: Oh heck yeah! So yeah. Portugal, you know, Europe. That Portugal's beautiful, from what I've yeah, always seen definitely. and stuff. I got a friend who literally yeah. is leaving Portugal today. He was out traveling Europe, and today, the last week, he's been in Portugal. He's leaving. Um, I think he's going to Italy, okay. here tonight or whatever. Anyway, he's doing a whole travel in Europe. Portugal's beautiful. Um, But I want to know about the differences in basketball from like each country you've played in, like the different style. Is it any different? Because I've talked to a a lot of guys over the last six years, man, and they say like, one, it's different than American basketball, but two, each club and each organization, they play a different style.
1: Yeah, play a different style. I would say Moldova was more like – like Armenia was more like offensively sound, like just one-on-one isolation. Um, When I played in Portugal – the first time, because I'm playing in Portugal for the second time. Uh, that's why I had to really learn how to play defense. They play a lot of crazy defense out here. Like, those Portuguese guys, they see an American. Oh, yeah, they want to they wanna make sure you don't score. They, they, they I, I was told, like, if you were scoring Portugal, you could score anywhere. Like, they play the craziest defense out here. Triple team, double team, uh, trapping the screens, everything. So, like, it definitely helped me. When I came back to the States, everybody was dog food. I'm like, y'all, begin be getting double team picked up 94 feet every game. Y'all picking me up at half court, I'm smiling, dribbling the ball up. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, yeah, I would man. say like Tunisia was kind of the same. Like, well, my first game in Tunisia was against like Monastir. They won the BAL last year, so but I gave them a hard time. I gave I, I had a really good game against that team. Um, I was matched up against their national, the national uh point guard of their country, and I gave him the work. Definitely got a lot of respect from that team, Uh, they're considered the best team in Africa. Played them my first game, gave them 22 points, uh, eight assists, shot 60% from the field. Definitely a really good game. Uh, I don't really, I'm not scared. I don't really get feared. Like I even played against, uh, I think his name was Lemon Walter Jr. He played for this club um, called Club African in Tunisia. I didn't even know until afterwards he played for the Chicago Bulls and they was comparing him to D Rose. I gave him 15 points. Like, so, like, that doesn't really mean nothing to me. I don't really, like, you know, some people get scared to look at their resume. Oh, he played in the NBA. Oh, he played here. Like, man, it's basketball is basketball. You a grown man with a basketball. I'm a grown man with a basketball. Like, it's either you bring it or you don't bring it. I don't care what you did in the past. I work with trainers, too. <laughs>
0: oh, I love yeah. that, bro. That's, that's like the yeah. Conor McGregor phrase when he said, I fear no, man. As long as you breathe oxygen, I mean, it's fair game. That's what he said. Yeah, like – you Dribble a ball, I dribble a ball, it's the same concept. We're on the yeah.
1: They was like, Yo, he played for the Bulls. I'm like, all right, like what that mean to me. He's not nah. playing for the Bulls right now. He's in the same league as me. <laughs> Dude, I no love disrespect that. to the man, you know. So it's crazy. Like division three, JUCO to division three, not getting no playing time to everybody that's in the leagues that I'm playing in, played division one high major or played in the NBA or Euro League or national team, and I'm making these guys work <laughs> and they like asking me. You sure you played division 3? I'm like, yeah, like I'm matching up against some of the best basketball players on the planet. <laughs> and I have no fear. I don't care. I'm just I playing. I love
0: it. I love the mentality, man. I, and I hope people can take from that um, because it's such a it's such an important mentality to have for a, for an athlete just just go out there and play your game, have the confidence to do it. As I, as I finish up the basketball piece of this interview, um, and I, I want to know more about your nonprofit, but I want to ask you a couple questions from the kids that I that I coach. Landon Erickson said, you know, what life lessons – so give me two life lessons that you've learned and taken away from basketball, Eugene. Just two life lessons that you, you could say.
1: Patience, man. You got to be patient with this overseas life. Everything is going to uh, fall into place. Like, once you get out here, it's going to be moments where you're like, all right, like, when is this going to happen when is that going to happen you just got to be patient i definitely developed a lot of patience in my overseas career and just discipline you know um just being so focused and locked in um despite the distractions like a lot of the distractions and a lot of the the negativity that goes on when you're overseas is people who are not even overseas you got to focus on what you focus here and then the biggest thing is control what you can control. Everything happens for a reason. And some things is gonna happen that's out of your control. But you gotta control what you can control. I'm outside in a foreign country. There's nothing I can do. I'm under a contract. I gotta wait for the, the president of my club to fly me back home. Now I love my president. He loves me, treats me with respect. I get treated like a king out here, i not even gonna lie. But um, oh every God. situation is not gonna be like that. So you just gotta control what you can't control because um, you're in their country. You wanted to play overseas, you signed up for this. You signed the dotted lines. So you gotta control what you can control. Obviously, be safe if it's a dangerous situation and you can talk to your agent. And that's why it's very important to get an agent just in case some crazy stuff happens. Because if you don't got an agent, they'll just treat you however they want to treat you, and nothing can happen. You know, they could yeah. just do whatever they want. You gotta get an agent, and it's best to get a FIBA certified agent, don't get a consultant. And if somebody charges you a, a upfront fee, it's not real. It's a scam. Agents they sign you based off of your resume and whatever gig they give you, they take a percentage, some type of commission out of your contract. Nobody's supposed to charge you. You're the player. You're the one with the resume. You're the one with the film. You're the you're the one that's the marketable person. If they charge you, they just trying to scam you for all the people out there listening don't fall for that yeah. oh uh, you signed to my agency uh it's a 400 fee it's a hundred dollar fee up front oh what is that for that's to write out your resume dude i could go on word document and look up my resume like, i could go on word document and type up my resume myself it'll take like 20 minutes like like people are so stupid like they just fall for anything all he did was go on word document or google docs and just type up your name what's your name all right what's your height what's your um your, your your position what schools did you play for i'm just typing all of that stuff i'm typing everything i'm i got the link to the youtube film i got that like copy and paste i got uh the the stats that you had in college i'm typing it up right <laughs> it's really not that hard i don't need to pay a hundred dollars for that and then you know what they'll do is they'll have you pay a hundred dollars for this this consultation upfront fee and then you're hitting them up every week talking about a job. Yeah, I'm sending teams out for you. They're not sending teams out for you. They don't even have connections. They're a middleman. First of all, you got to go on FIBA.com. If they're not a FIBA certified agent, then they're not legit. Because a team is not even gonna work with a, with an agent that's not FIBA certified. They're not even gonna work with the with the with the agent at all. They're gonna be like, What's your FIBA license number? Everybody has an international card, and everybody that has played overseas in FIBA has you can look them up on FIBA.com. So like you could go on FIBA.com right now and search my name up and my information comes up. Like everything has to be legit and everything has to be through FIBA. FIBA is like the international NBA. So if somebody's not on that, you know, website, then they're not legit. Totally,
0: man. That's such yeah. insightful information for anybody who's who's listening to that and needs to know that. I appreciate that. So yeah. Jason Jason said, hey, what are the biggest differences that you noticed between each level that you played at and how did you react to those differences? Like the biggest transitions between high school to JUCO, JUCO to D3, D3 to the professional level. Um, what were the biggest transitions, I guess, you, you could say that you, you faced?
1: Uh, attention to details. Uh, I had like 100 plays at NJCU. It was crazy. Uh, I was so happy my senior year, he, he lessened the plays. Bro, we had like 12, 13 plays of like set plays, five zone plays, six uh inbounds plays, like it's just crazy. Like uh Sienna, uh North Carolina, blue, red. I'm like, dang. I had to really learn how to lock in on the plays, man. Like, you just really got to pay attention to details because coaches really look for that. You're able to pay attention to details and retain information. That's why it's important to get your education, too, because when you're educated, you can retain information at a fast pace because you're only going to go over the plays once. They don't got no patience. They're going to go over the plays once or twice, and that's it. If you don't know it, that's it.
0: (laughs) Attention to detail, man. I love it, brother. That's that's such an important concept, and I'm sure at every level, it's probably the same thing. You just learn something new. You got to be able to retain it. Okay, last question was from Griffin, and Griff said, hey, what are the differences of the practices in the pros, like when you're practicing in the pros, compared to that of when you were in high school or in in the collegiate level? Just what what are the main differences of the professional practices compared to like high school or something?
1: Get right to the point. There's no joking around. There's no like – there's no – we'll talk about what I'm doing after school. None of that. It's right to the point. Everybody's getting paid. You're a pro. You're getting paid. Everybody has to make sure that they're on time for practice. Everybody has to make sure there's no excuses. There's no, like, it's a job. You know what I'm saying? Like, just like you wouldn't be late to work an office job. Why would you be late for this?
0: Totally. I love it, man. There's there's no messing around. Eugene, as we get to the end of the interview, I want to give you a chance to talk about your nonprofit, which is Walk a Mile in Our Shoes. Talk about that and uh, where we can find out more about that.
1: So Welcome On Our Shoes is a nonprofit, 501 501c3. I founded it in 2019, and um, I made it 501c3 in 2021. Our mission is to uh, give out shoes, clothes, and essentials for those in need all across the world. Um, we've helped so many families and so many people. Um, I have an amazing team that helps run the organization in my absence of playing overseas. Even though I'm the president, I have a vice president, secretary, and about eight committee members that put in work. And they're on the ground running things in my absence. So shout out to them.
0: Wow. Okay. So how do we find out more about that if somebody's interested in like, you know, either, I don't know, donating or working with you guys to be able to help you out?
1: Yeah. I mean, we're always open for anybody that wants to collaborate with us. You can go on org. or you can visit our social media platforms. We have Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And uh, everything is spelled walk a mile, the letter N, our shoes. And um, we have all of our updates for upcoming community service events and uh, future collaborations that we have with people and other organizations we don't only... You know, do our events for our organization. We collaborate with others as well. Anybody that wants to get back to the community, uh, they love working with us. and We love to work with them.
0: So cool, man. That's awesome that you're doing that. I would also encourage everybody to follow them on social media as well. I'm going to link the descriptions here. Uh, link them in the description so that you guys can find on the website and the social media page for Walk a Mile in Our Shoes so you guys can t- check it out yourselves. I think that's super, super cool what you got going on there, man. So, Eugene, you already kind of alluded to it earlier, but as we wrap up the interview, you said, you know, you're going to maybe give your body a little bit of a rest, but what's the next steps for Eugene Campbell? You know, the season will end, you'll give your body a rest, but what can we expect, sorry, Eugene Campbell the third. what can we expect to see from Eugene Campbell third moving forward uh, in the basketball realm?
1: Um, definitely playing in the top league. Like I, I got a taste of the top league when I played in Tunisia's top league, so I definitely want to play in the top league uh, in Europe. It's gonna be a lot of work that I'm gonna be doing this summer. Um, I have a very close family friend of mine. I know you're familiar with him, Kenneth Fareed. Very close family, family, uh, family friend of mine. Talk to him every day. It's my guy. Uh, we're we're family, man. Um, definitely be working out with him this summer. So stay tuned with that. Um, I'll be flying out to either Miami or LA where he stays at, and we're gonna be working out together. So um, yeah, so.
0: So, so not only will you be, you know, a scorer, you're probably going to be averaging about 17 rebounds a game after working with him
1: for a summer. Huh? Yeah, for sure. I'm be, uh, I might have a double, I have a triple double at that point. Yeah.
0: Let's go, man. That is wild. Fareed yeah. was one of my favorite players. That's cool. I didn't even know you had any connection to him at all. So that's awesome, man. Talk to him. Talk to him every day. Talk to him right before this interview, actually. Yo, okay, yeah. well, hey, hey, do your boy a favor, just, you know, maybe shout out my name a little bit but saying, hey, like, maybe you should get on this show and just kind of share your story, because i got heard, uh, you. <laughs> dude, just, yeah. just hook your boy up. No, I'm just kidding, man. Uh, but no, I appreciate that. It's cool. We're going to be looking forward to seeing what you do, Eugene. Uh, where can we follow you um, so that we can, you know, see your story and kind of follow the rest of your journey?
1: Um. So my, my Instagram, my Twitter, my Facebook, everything is pretty much the same. Um... I am Gene Campbell is my at name, but um, you know you can search the person's name up by typing in their name. So Eugene Campbell III will come up with all my social media accounts. If you type that up on Google, it'll have like all of my stuff. But um, pretty much I am Gene Campbell is like my, my handle for the social media profiles.
0: Cool, cool. Awesome. So if you guys are listening to this right now and you want to pause it, check the description. I'll also link his social media stuff here in the description so you guys can find it. You'll see his nonprofit. You'll see his social media pages. But if you can't, if you don't have time to check the description right now, you're just listening to this while you're in a car ride or something, uh, just know where to find it, rewind it and listen to what he had to say right there and you'll find his pages. Uh, Eugene, I just want to say thanks, man. I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to join me. Looking forward to uh, watching. this And just appreciate you, man. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, thank you, man. Appreciate you for having me on the show. Definitely a pleasure. Sorry about some of the connection issues. I apologize in the phone uh, oh. dying, but it happens. Yeah. Control that's, what that's you can control. control. <laughs> that's, that's what we took away from it, brother. I, I appreciate you. That's the yeah. technology.
0: For all the listeners out there, make sure you guys uh, subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out to more people. And we'll be coming to you next week with another interview. Take care.